This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, where we explore all things related to motherhood, from career and relationships to parenting and wellness. Join me, Nina Spears, your baby expert and host, as we dive into topics that matter to mothers, share personal stories and insights, and interview experts and parents who can provide valuable advice and perspectives. Whether you're a first-time mom just starting out or a seasoned pro, we've got you covered. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and let's Chick Chat. Hey guys, welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we have Jana Sarno as our guest. Jana is a board-certified behavior analyst with extensive educational, clinical, and professional developmental experience in the field of applied behavior analysis. She earned her Bachelor of Science from Western Michigan University, and Jana then attended the University of Southern Mississippi for her PhD in school psychology. During her time at USM, she worked with children enrolled in Head Start, Early Head Start, local school districts, a multiple disciplinary setting for children with communication and developmental disorders, and the USM School of Psychology Clinic. That's a lot. After her time at USM, Jana completed a year-long internship at the Marcus Autism Center, an NIH Autism Center of Excellence in Atlanta, Georgia. While at Marcus, Jana received intensive clinical experience in the assessment and treatment of severe problem behavior, verbal behavior, and feeding disorders. Today, we'll be chatting with Jana about some early signs and symptoms of autism and steps to take if your child is exhibiting any of these signs. The CDC recently released data showing one in 36 children are now affected with ASD. Now more than ever, it is important to be aware of the signs and symptoms of autism and how to get help. Let's get started to learn more about this important topic. Hi, Jana. It is so wonderful to have you on our show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about the discussion we're going to have today. Oh gosh, I feel the exact same way. This topic is very near and dear to my heart. I have a twin brother who has autism and the autism world has been a big part of my whole life since literally day one. (laughs) But I'm just really glad that we're going to be talking about this, especially with you. So before we begin, we always like to learn more about our guests so our listeners have an idea who they're listening to. So Gina, please tell us about you, your background, and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, so thank you. I am a kind of a psychologist, an educator and behavior analyst, and have been in the field for a while. So I have background in psychology and have been a board-certified behavior analyst for about 14 years, I'm working with children with autism, both in schools, in clinics, and also in home settings. So really have been lucky to meet families where they're at and also help them with kind of their child's you know, biggest hopes and dreams and what that looks like for their families. Oh, wow. What a 
an amazing thing that you do for families. That's just so incredible. I'm really, really grateful to chat with you about all of this. Janet, like how did you become passionate <laughs> about behavior and developmental disorders, like and specifically autism? Yeah, I think really I've always been a part of a family of educators. My mom was in the public school system for years. I have aunts and uncles and others in my family that have just been in public education and have always, you know, I grew up going to those concerts or going to those art programs or science fairs. So really have always been around kind of children and also in education. So this felt like a natural fit because I grew up so much in kind of serving others and uh, working with children to kind of achieve their fullest potential. Oh, that's so awesome. And for our listeners who are a bit less familiar with this space, Jana, can you explain to our listeners, like, what is autism? Like, what does that mean? Yeah, so autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder, and it's characterized by two kind of main components. One is kind of deficits in social communication. So that could be reciprocal interactions, making and establishing friends, being able to respond to their name and communicate. And then also the presence of repetitive or restrictive behaviors. So, so examples may be, you know, having to take the same way to school. And if not, that's really difficult. Or being hypo or hypersensitive to smells and touches and textures. So the diagnosis of autism requires that both of those conditions are met. So deficits or delays in social communication and also the presence of repetitive or restrictive behaviors. Interesting. And something that I also like to say is that, oh my goodness, the spectrum is so large. Like people that you never thought are on the spectrum can be. So it's not what you necessarily think it looks like. It doesn't look like something that so many people can be on the spectrum. And something else I'd like to say is that that's okay. Like there is nothing wrong. And giving those people the opportunities that they deserve is just super, super special. So again, I'm really grateful for the work that you do and to be able to talk to you all about this. You know, the the CDC recently released data stating that one in 36 children are now affected by ASD. And that is huge. It used to be one in 100 and now it's one in 36. Gina, what does this increase in the number of diagnosis mean? Like, should parents be concerned? I wouldn't say so. I think that the increase in the prevalence rate that we've seen over the years is really largely based on a couple things. One, the American Academy of Pediatrics has provided a lot of guidance on when developmental milestones should be considered and really have a campaign around a screening during well baby checkups. So there is just more of a presence around making sure that an autism screener and kind of subsequent evaluation is a part of the development. So just as much as it's important that baby is growing tall and and growing wide is also making sure that they have those developmental skills. So one, I think it's a a better indication of our screening. Two, it also means that there's more media awareness. We look at kind of, you know, shows or campaigns or words as you drive down the highway. So there's just a better understanding of what autism is and kind of awareness in the community. 
I think the last piece I would say too is that we continue to refine our diagnostic tools and more training and therefore may lead to more diagnoses as we kind of found, you know, kids who may not have gotten a diagnosis or should have or maybe misclassified with another diagnosis. So really, I think the CDC recent publication around prevalence rates really reflects our kind of better practices around screening, awareness, and diagnosis. Yeah. And I think that should give parents some comfort in knowing it's not like this rampant increase in different things. It's really more of us having the information and the tools to be able to assess children properly and give them the necessary tools to succeed in life. Because before, I'm a baby of the 80s. And when we were born, my twin brother, there wasn't as much information out there. There wasn't as many tools and assessments and that sort of thing. And my brother is a bit more nonverbal, so it's a lot more obvious that he was on the spectrum. But for children who are verbal and that may still be on the spectrum, they may have been overlooked. So I think it's just like you said, I think that each year more and more getting the help that they deserve to live the life to their fullest. So I, I really love that. Can you share with us what neurodiversity is? I think that more people are starting to hear this term in this space. So we'd love to hear from you, Jana. Like, what does neurodiversity mean? In a nutshell, neurodiversity means that there's diversity in kind of our brains and how they work and process information and consume information all around us. And that diversity should be honored, accepted, and and it's unique and it's something special. So rather than saying this is a condition and needs to be cured, there's some movement to embrace some of those differences just as much as we may embrace differences in physical attributes, right? Brown hair, blue eyes and so forth, that there's differences in ways that the world is perceived and is taken in and kind of some of those lived experiences and those bring uniqueness to us and it should be honored and acknowledged. Oh, beautifully said. Thank you so much for that. And Jana, for parents who are curious, maybe they have a really little one and they're maybe thinking, hmm, I feel like something's off. What are some of the more common early signs or symptoms of autism that parents should be aware of? Yeah, so I think that parents' intuition is always strong. So whenever parents say, I'm concerned, as a professional, that should stop and make us listen, ask more questions. Tell me more about that. What does that look like? You know, why are you concerned about that would be a first sign. And I think the other information too, there's a lot of really good resources around what developmental milestones we should expect. So I often refer people to the CDC has a really nice act early campaign. It has a developmental milestones tracker, a guide, an app, all of the resources to make sure that you are watching baby's milestones. If your baby is having some concerns, oftentimes those appear as just deficits in social reciprocity, like not being able to kind of engage back and forth, not responding to their name, delays in communication, not yet pointing, that shared moment where you tickle and you look up and you tickle again, right? 
right? This kind of shared experience is often missed too in kind of early milestones for autism. So deficits are kind of delays in that social reciprocity, that social sharing, and then also communication too, such as responding to name, using first words, and pointing are the most common concerns noted by parents. That's super helpful for us to be aware of and keep in mind for anyone who is expecting or has really little ones to listen to your intuition. I really love how you brought that home with some other things to kind of look for. And for our listeners, if you're hearing a little bit of background noise, Jana, you're at your office, aren't you, right? I am. So I work with Hope Ridge and we provide um, applied behavior analysis, speech and occupational therapy to children with autism. So coming to you live from Valparaiso, Indiana, really wanted to share this kind of opportunity with our team members. We have some arts and crafts, some special things kind of happening. And so really wanted to make sure to, you know, come to you where our good work happens from Indiana. We're saying hello. So you may hear a little giggle or a little shuffle in the background. And that's just our kids making some amazing progress. And we love that. And that's why I just had to make sure that our listeners knew what's going on, all of the amazing work that you guys are doing. That is so cool. So if you're not watching us via video and only listening to us via the podcast, you now know where Jan is at and all the amazing work that they're doing currently in this very moment. So that's awesome. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And Gina, back to my original question. I guess when you start seeing these signs and symptoms, maybe in your own child, what steps do you recommend caregivers take who think that their child is impacted by ASD? So the first thing I would do is talk to your pediatrician and list out your concerns before you have that appointment with your pediatrician. Sometimes they're moving quickly. You may forget things that are really important. So I always tell parents, write those things down. What are you observing? What does that look like? And ask for kind of some of that follow-up if you're continue to be concerned. Oftentimes, your pediatrician can give you a screener that would maybe say if more formal evaluation is needed. But the first step is just having our families, you know, approach your pediatrician, tell them about your concerns, be well prepared for those appointments to be able to kind of say what you're seeing and what your concerns are as well. Yeah, that's a great first step. I I think that's where a lot of parents are just unsure of where to get started. So definitely talking to your pediatrician is such a great resource. But I know that, yes, if it's that next step, you know, they're not sure where to go. So definitely their pediatrician be able to help point them in the right direction. So, and Janet, at what age is it appropriate for a child to receive a formal autism test? Because as we just said with a pediatrician, it's more of an overall screen. But that's not going to be a real test. You're going to need to go to a specialist. At what age is that appropriate? And what does that process look like? 
Yeah, so typically autism can be reliably diagnosed in uh, children as young as 18 months. Wow, that's pretty young. Yeah, that's important for families to really be on top of those milestones and to be kind of seeking some of that support. Typically, an autism evaluation, the best kind, have multiple features. One, it really starts with listening to parents. We'll ask questions about developmental milestones. What behaviors do you see? What are the things that are important to you? So really detailed clinical interview is a good start. And then also looking at records. So if your child received you know, services or there's other reports that could be helpful, So bringing in that information and then also a good autism evaluation, a gold standard is doing observation and direct testing with a child. We don't sit the 18 month old at the table and expect them to do our work, but rather engage in like these really play-based assessments where these conditions are kind of set up and we look for those behaviors in the child. So really good autism evaluation would incorporate multiple informants and multiple measures that would be kind of synthesized down to kind of some consistent findings. And then always a good autism evaluation will have recommendations for the family, not just saying if their child has a diagnosis or not, but what to do next to get kind of the supports that are really individualized for that child based on what that evaluator saw. I have a question for you, Jenna. I think I've heard from some parents, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but they've said that it takes a while to receive the diagnosis. Is that true? And if so, how long does that typically take? It varies quite largely based on kind of location and evaluators in the community. That's why I always tell families, if you are concerned, get that appointment, get that referral. You can always cancel that evaluation if your child's development really takes off. But we've heard families who've said they've waited for a year or longer to get that evaluation. And that has to be heartbreaking as a parent to say, I'm really concerned about my child, but I just can't access those services and get the support that we need. So I always say, family, reach out sooner the better and get support kind of in that interim because there's not as many evaluators out there that can do that work and therefore want to get that you know process started as early as possible. And would a pediatrician be the best place to find an evaluator or is there a resource that you recommend to find someone that can help them in their area? Yeah, so your pediatrician could be a very good start. If you also have insurance, you could call and talk to your insurance provider and say, I'm looking for someone to do an autism evaluation. That could be also a good place as well. Very helpful. Thank you for sharing all of this, Jana. And I think that it can be a little intimidating to go into this testing process. Jana, how can parents prepare themselves and their child for that testing process? Yeah, for the family, I would say kind of like before, be prepared, kind of write out your questions. You'll get a lot of questions about your child's birth history, their developmental milestones. And when you kind of are going through that really quickly, it's kind of hard to gather all of that information. So I always tell families, list some of those things out. Make sure the points that you want to get across in that evaluation, my child does, my child does not list those things out. So in kind of the hustle and the bustle of the evaluation, you don't leave without saying the things that are really important to you. So be prepared, list kind of your priorities that you want to make sure get across. 
And I think for the child, you know, the things of, you know, make sure they have a good night's sleep. They're well fed. They're well rested. They're in clean clothes and clean diaper if applicable, right? Just make sure they're really comfortable to kind of do their very best and be present for that evaluation. It's always difficult when we have families who are like, oh, they just got up from a nap and we missed lunch and here he is. And it's like, well, that may not be, you know, his very best. So I always say like, prepare for parents and also prepare our kids to make sure that the evaluation is as productive as we want and that we get the best information. Wow. That is really good to know. I think there's only sometimes parents can, they do their best. You you know, if they're going through a sleep regression, you do your best, but to be mindful of those things of like, okay, is there any troubleshooting I can do to make sure that they are, you know, well-rested and well-fed and feeling good for that appointment too, I think is, is really a great piece of advice for parents to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think you can also note that too, kind of that evaluator too. If you said, oh, we had a rough night of sleep. We kind of, you know, had the sniffles earlier. We weren't, we're not our best. Mention that to them. They could include that in the report that maybe this isn't the child's best performance. So I always say disclose that information. So if there is some variability, they're able to know that too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I think that, you know, like I had mentioned, autism has a special place in my heart, all of the people in that community. I think that people who are unfamiliar with it can be a little intimidated or unsure what to do or what to say. And I think it's all leads to just misconceptions. So Jenna, I'd love to hear from you, like, what are some of the common misconceptions associated with autism? I think some of the common misconceptions are that, you know, for some of our kids who are not yet able to speak, that they don't have things to say. Rather, they have their interests, they have their likes, they have their dislikes. They just have a different way of showing us those things, right? They pull us maybe to the things that are important. They grab our hands and put it on the things that they really want us to see. So a misconception is if they don't have language, they may not be able to, you know, share information. They share it in a different way as those skills come online. And also, because there's some social deficits in autism, sometimes there's some misconceptions around like our kids don't want to show empathy or unable to. And I, I would say that they show it in a different way. And we have to kind of be receptive to that information as well. Absolutely. I totally, definitely agree. Oh my goodness. Every one of them I have such a special gift and a way of communicating. And I think it's just being open and putting aside your expectations and really just sh- being present and kind of entering their world, I think is so important. And just removing judgment and entering it with love is key. So, uh, but I love your tips. Thank you so much. And I really love the idea of this quote that you guys have viewing autism as a superpower rather than a disability. Jana, can you expand on this thought? Yeah, that thought kind of goes with the theme of neurodiversity, that rather than kind of my weakness is something that I get to harness and get to lean into. But I think it's also important to know, and I think you mentioned your own kind of personal experience, is that while some individuals may view it as their superpower. Some are more affected and that kind of leads to that spectrum, but it's the belief that everybody's unique in different ways. This is maybe my, my uniqueness of having autism and it gives me something. It gives me something that's different, that's special and that I can learn from as well. So I think that's the message is that my uniqueness is something special and allows me to do things that maybe other people can't. 
That's such a special message. Thank you for that. And Jenna, when a child does receive an ASD diagnosis, what are the options and next steps as far as treatment options? So when you evaluate someone, I know that this can vary widely, <laughs> but can you give us just a general list of some of those next steps or, and treatments that are available? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a natural question as parents get the diagnosis. They say like, and what's next? And what do I need to do? Right? They're like, okay, but what do I do? And I think there's a number of treatment options that are available to families and that they should walk through in terms of what fits their family, what fits their priorities. So one would be the American Academy of Pediatrics and also the Surgeon General have endorsed applied behavior analysis and those methodologies as being a really evidence-based intervention for autism. It can teach a number of different skills, including social communication, and also reduce kind of more challenging behavior, such as that repetition or unrestricted behavior. But also it's important to treat the whole child and look at kind of all of those variables that they bring into kind of that treatment puzzle. So looking at occupational therapy for kind of some regulation, fine motor skills, physical therapy, if there's concerns about the child's gross motor, and then also continuing to partner and collaborate with a speech language pathologist around communication and a language development. Yes. And I know that that can sound really intimidating, like, oh my gosh, all of these therapies, this can be so expensive. Like, what would you say to that parent whose those thoughts are running through their mind? Yeah, I think that that's a common question. And, and that's one of the reasons why kind of as this little tangent of why HopeBridge existed, right? We heard families who would just shuffle their child from this therapy to the next. And we wanted to put it under one roof to a family to say, take your child here and they can get all these other services. Parenting is difficult at first. And then now kind of, you know, shuttling from different places and doing different things. So I would consider looking at a provider that can kind of meet those needs and maybe be able to provide those services under one roof. But then also from the financial aspect, many of these services are covered under commercial insurance and also Medicaid. So it would have families kind of navigate that process and work with a really reputable provider that can guide you through your benefits. What do they mean? What's co-pays? What's out of pocket? What's a deductible? And really can kind of lay out what that impact looks like. And if it's something that you're not able to do as a family, point you in the direction of grants or aid or other supports that may be able to offset some of the financial impact. So your child has those therapies and making sure that you can kind of sustain as a family. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think that's what a lot of parents, they may even be fearful to get started because they are like, oh, I don't think I can afford to handle all of this. And they may delay things because of those fears. But hearing that there are resources and there is help out there that is available to families. So that's encouraging. So I thank you for that. And you've listed some wonderful resources, especially you said Hope Ridge. Like uh, what resources do you recommend to families to turn to if they do have a child with autism? Yeah, there's a couple that I would recommend. One is the Association for Science and Autism Treatment is a really good website. It's geared to kind of listing out all of the interventions and treatments for autism and evaluating the evidence of them. Oftentimes, families may, and really an honest and good hope of helping their child, may pursue therapies or other interventions that may not be evidence-based. And right, if you're putting all of that support in to make sure that your child 
pile flourishes, you want to put it in the things that have been proven to be effective. So I really like the Association for Science and Autism Treatment. They list out all of the interventions in a really fantastic way for parents and evaluate. This is evidence-based. This may be a concern. This is what this looks like. And then I also always ask the families to kind of get connected with any local parent support groups or resource groups. Autism may impact a whole family and what that looks like. So I always say, you know, get connected, listen to other parents who've walked this journey and get some of that additional support. For sure. Oh my goodness. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. The whole family needs the support, not just the child affected with ASD. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And and Jana, what words of hope would you like to share with parents who have children with autism? I say that your child is special. You love them so much and just kind of create their dreams for them. You know, individuals with autism can lead a really healthy and fulfilling and high quality life. So this is not saying that your child is not capable of those things. We may have to, you know, recreate it, recraft it, but your child is special. They're well-loved and they have a really bright future ahead. As long as you continue to advocate for them, support them, push them along just as much as any parent would do. Absolutely. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And gosh, we've gone over so many wonderful topics and I feel like this episode is rich with your knowledge and great tools for parents on where to get started, questions to ask, things to keep in mind. So this has been really, really helpful. Jana, do you have any just final thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with? Yeah, Nina, I think you did such a great job curating a discussion. I hope that this gives your listeners hope and inspiration and more information and tools in their tool belt. I think we covered the gamut and uh, really thankful for having this opportunity to have this discussion today. Oh my goodness. We feel as much, so much more gratitude because I don't think that this is talked enough about. I think that more people, especially now that it's no longer one in a hundred, it's now one in 36 children. And I think that people need to recognize that it's okay to ask questions, get that help and start this conversation. So we're just so grateful to have this conversation with you. So, and Jana, we need to know, like, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can find us at HopeRange.com and then HopeRange360 on our social media accounts. And then also in a variety of other places, uh, really kind of disseminating the good work and kind of making sure that our parents and others kind of follow along. We love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much again for your time, Janet, and for sharing your knowledge and advice with all of us. We just so truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Jana, as she said, you can find her online at www.hopebridge.com or on Instagram and all social media at hopebridge360. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to embracing every child as they are.